Well, if you want to turn your Bibles a while to the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 4, we, first passage that we look at, we'll be looking at a number of passages this morning. In 1942, uh, during World War II, uh, Nazi Germany swept across the land of France and uh, pretty much took it over. And one of the things they did during that sweep was arrest a French nobleman by, uh, known as the Count uh, de la Rochefoucauld. I can only say that once. Uh, the, re- the result was that his son, Robert, decided to join the French resistance at the ripe old age of 19. Um, he was with the resistance for some time and then he discovered that his name was on a list that the Gestapo had of people they intended to arrest. And so he, along with two British airmen who had been shot down and were in hiding, uh, the three of them fled first to Spain and then made their way to England. In England, he was um, recruited to an organization that Churchill had put together called uh, Special Operations Executive. And he was taught things like how to steal a car, vehicles in general. He's taught how to um, develop and wear disguises, how to kill a man with his bare hands, um, how to look inconspicuous. And after his training, he parachuted back into France and was responsible for a lot of sabotage work. Uh, He would blow up um, railroad tracks, electrical substations, Uh, He was arrested three times and slated for execution three times, but uh, escaped every time. Probably his most, um, uh, his greatest accomplishment as a saboteur uh, was when he, disguised as a workman, uh, made his way into the largest munitions plant that Nazi Germany had inside of France. And he had uh, with him loaves of bread that he had hollowed out And within those loaves, he had uh, 90 pounds of military-grade explosive. And he somehow, without being observed, made his way around to all the structural points of the plant, the factory, left a loaf at each one, escaped, climbed over a wall, and then the factory went boom. Sounds like the kind of stuff that Hollywood comes up with, but this is real real life. Guy died uh, in 2012. A a saboteur is someone who destroys things without being noticed. Someone who destroys things without being noticed. I wonder how many of you noticed the enemy at work in your life this week. I wonder how many of us noticed Satan operational in our lives this week. C.S. Lewis, in his uh, book, The Screwtape Letters, has uh, two demons talking to each other. And one of them said, it's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. And one of those things may be believing that the enemy is not all that engaged in our weaknesses and our sins. He's in hiding. He's camouflaged. He's hiding behind this, behind that, behind this person, behind that person, behind this event or that event. And we just don't see what's going on. It's interesting. A number of years ago, the New Yorker magazine was interviewing the late uh, Supreme Court Justice Scalia. 
And in the course of the interviews, it's not what it was about. But Scalia mentioned that he believed in the devil. And his interviewer was just stunned. Um, you know, the statistics on journalists and their beliefs in contrast with what a lot of people in America believe are pretty striking. And he just couldn't believe that this man who was as sophisticated as he was, as bright as he was, as prominent as he was, as educated as he was, actually believed in the devil. And he asked Scalia, he says, isn't it terribly frightening to believe in the devil? And I think the opposite is true. It's terribly frightening to me to think about people who don't believe in the devil. Why? If you don't believe he exists, he's free to operate. And if we're not paying attention to his work, he can also be free to operate. We started talking last week about the whole issue of anger. We're going to spend four weeks on that. And this morning I want to talk about the enemy's role, Satan's role, the devil's role um, in our anger, in our wrath, in our fury. And I've entitled the message, Shadowy Saboteur. So let's pray and uh, worship God and ask for his help, and then we'll dive in. Father, we, uh, we do worship you this morning as uh, maker of heaven and earth. And in fact, as we move our fingers and we open our mouths and we breathe in and out, we are reminded that you are the craftsman behind all of that. You've made us out of dust of the earth and we can do amazing things. And tragically, much of the world turns its back to you, fashions gods in their own image or rejects the notion of God altogether. And yet, every time we open and close our hands, open and close our eyes, breathe in and out, there's evidence. We worship you as a God who is holy, and that means we have an enormous, you have an enormous problem with us because as Isaiah said, he's a man of unclean lips and he lives among a people of unclean lips and we too are the same. And yet, in your holiness, you solved our greatest problem, the estrangement by sin uh, that we had toward you, from you. And you said, Jesus reconciled us to yourself through his blood. We praise your name for the good news of Jesus. And because of him, we're a winner. This morning, we're going to talk about a loser, and yet he is a very, very shrewd and far too often effective loser. And so this morning, I pray that you would open our eyes to his work, his schemes, his intentions, open our eyes to our own role in effectively helping him in his projects and that we might be able to fight the good fight against him. We pray that you would bind him, muzzle him this morning so that he would have no sway over our um, thinking and our doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 4, looking at verses 26 and 27. I want to talk about Satan's freedom to operate, the ways that we kind of give him freedom to operate, especially when it comes to this matter of anger. Verse 26, and don't, let, uh, don't sin by le letting anger control you. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. 
for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now that word foothold in the New Living Translation in the original language simply is place. Place. Most of your more literal translations use the word uh, opportunity. And it's the idea of getting advantage. And some translations like this speak about foothold. I think the NIV does that as well. Um, I have a couple of sons that for some un, uh, gotta be ungodly, certainly insane reasons, like to rock climb. Uh, they did not get that from their dad, any way, shape, or form. If I'm above six feet, I'm nervous. Uh, but they take ropes and other gear and go out and climb up the face, faces of rocks. And I know we have others here that like to do that. Um, very strange to me. Um, especially the people that do the free solo climbing. You know what I mean by that? They just go up the face of rocks, no ropes, no crampons or whatever those things are, they nail into the rocks. Um, You go online sometimes and watch some uh, videos uh, with Alex Honnold. Uh, This guy goes, he went up the face of El Capitan out in California, 3,000 feet up. And sometimes he's not just going straight up, but he's going back. And he's doing it with no ropes and no other gear. He's just finding handholds and footholds. Now, the footholds are more important. If you hang by your hands for, let's say, 10 minutes, you're going to be in big trouble. You're not going to last. But if you stand for 10 minutes, you'll be fine. The foothold is the key. And the scriptures tell us that Satan, when we let anger have its way and run rampant, that we create a foothold for Satan in our lives. We give him an opportunity to establish a beachhead. And so he can bring in tractor trailers and tanks and more soldiers to do more damage in our lives. We create a foothold. Unrepentant anger in your life and my life gives him opportunity that he ought not to have. Look out for the trouble that he's going to unleash then. Let me take you back to Genesis chapter 4. Early, early days after creation, Adam and Eve have sinned, and now they're about to start their family, drop in in the middle of verse 2. They have a boy now, Cain was the first one, and now they have another boy, Abel was the second son. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. So you've got one guy's working with animals, one guy's working with crops. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. Now, let me just, uh, there's some, always some interest here. And why did God not accept Cain's gift? And there are a variety of speculations. Uh, one, the idea that Cain uh, brought food and, or brought vegetables and Abel brought meat, i.e. a living sacrifice. But the law hadn't been implemented yet. There's no evidence that God was requiring 
animal sacrifices to atone for anything. It seems more likely, it says here that Cain presented some of his crops as a gift. There's, there's no, there's no um, um, hint as to their quality, but there is when it comes to Abel's gift. He brought the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock, which was the kind of animals that God asked in the law. You bring the best. The best you have in your flock. If it's animals lame or one eye is blind, that's no good. You bring the best. And so it seems like that was the issue. Cain brought eh, mediocre broccoli and Abel brought the really good stuff from his flock. So he's, Cain's angry. And there's something to note here. Uh, you probably know the story. He goes on to kill his brother Abel. But who was he really angry at? Who did he upset? Who didn't accept his gift? God. Oh, how often there's at least a seed and sometimes a larger amount in our anger that we're angry at God. Verse 6, God says, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Again, what's the problem? It's that he didn't bring a good gift and that he's mad. Watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Now, sin is inanimate. It's not a, it's, it's not a created Thing. And yet God uses this metaphor here as if, uh, as if sin is a created being waiting to... <sighs> now what's the picture here? Yes, he is pointing to, to uh, Cain's sin nature, but I think this is a kind of an oblique reference also to Satan and the work that he is prepared to do in Cain's life. If Cain does not repent of his anger... And do what is right. When was the last time that you blew up at someone, you lost your temper, that you recognized that it was one, ungodly, two, that the enemy might be in play here? When was the last time you lost your temper and you recognized not just I was really upset. I was really frustrated. Remember those words we talked about last week that we, those verbs that we use in place of anger so that we kind of justify our anger? I was hurt. I was, I was frustrated. I was troubled. I was disturbed. I was upset. Words that kind of tame anger so that it doesn't seem so bad. But when was the last time that you lost your temper that you go, ooh, that wasn't good. God forgive me. Or that you went, ooh, that was not just me, but the enemy of my soul. Do you recognize it? Do I recognize it when that happens? So if a former friend of mine spreads a story about me that's only uh, half true, and my response to that is I get really mad, but because I know the theological uh, jargon, I say I, I, had, I was uh, righteously indignant. 
That's what the theologians used to say when Jesus got mad in the temple and he drove the, uh, the money changers out of the temple, that he, had, he was righteously indignant. And so I defend myself because after all, this person st- spread a story about me that wasn't completely true. And so I, I'm right to get upset about it. And everybody I tell the story to agrees. Yes, Keith, you were right. You were justified. Do you know the schemes of the devil? Do you know the kinds of things that he's up to in our lives? We dare not be clueless about them. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. <clears throat> now, something had taken place with a man in the congregation Some people think it was the man who was living with his stepmother. I don't know that that's the case, but Paul says to the the congregation, when you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit so that Satan will not outsmart us. Christian, is Satan outsmarting you or are you on top of him? Is he winning in your life or is he losing in your life? We, we, we can't make him evaporate. We can't make him go away. He's an opportunist, always looking for a chance in our lives to do some work. Do you know what he's up to in your life? Do we know what he's up to? Last line says, for we are familiar with his evil schemes, but are we? But are we? We know he tempts, he diverts our attention, he causes doubt in our hearts, he accuses, he incites the two extremes, he excites, incites us to despair and he incites us to pride. But brothers and sisters, he also deceives us. It's one of his primary, primary works in our life. He deceives us and when we get angry, we we believe that we're justified. That's a deception. When we get angry, we, we think that the person that we're chewing out is, they have it coming to them. And we think it's okay. We're being told again and again. It's, it's important to vent our anger because if we bottle that up inside, and oh yes, that's true. Some of us are really, really, really angry and nobody ever knows it. But we're told that if we bottle that upside and we don't vent it, that's like the only way that we can deal with it. If we don't vent it, we'll become ill, we'll become uh, mentally and then physically ill and we've got to do that and all of these kinds of things. Listen, all of these kinds of lies are from the pit of hell. Deceiver. You think back to your last month. And the times that you've blown up at your children, the times that you've let your wife or your husband have it, the things that you've said to your boss or behind your boss's back, more likely, or you've said to one of your employees, or the things that you haven't said but stir in your soul the fury that is there against this person, that person, even God. The good news is that's all bad news. Here's the good news. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. But the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God came to destroy the works of whom? 
the devil. Say that with me. The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Hallelujah. We don't need to be defeated. We don't need to let him uh, have his way, be free to operate within us. We can force him to flee. Listen to the words of James chapter 4. James chapter 4, beginning of verse 7. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil. That's an active verb. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. I think, I think those lines are all related. In other words, resisting the devil is not an independent operation. We are also drawing close to God. In other words, as let's say the devil is here and God is here, as we draw closer and closer to God in obedience and faithfulness, the distance between us and the enemy gets greater and greater and greater. And conversely, as we drift from God, I'm not talking about losing your salvation, but as we drift from God, we get closer and closer to the enemy and he has more and more real estate in which to operate in our lives. So we are called to fight back, fight back. And the good news is we are going to win when we fight. First John 4, 4. <clears throat> you have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you, capital S, Holy Spirit, who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. The spirit that lives in you, if you're a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit that lives in every one of us is more powerful than this devil, this Satan who is tempting us, who is luring us, who is drawing us, who is tempting us, who is deceiving us. He's, he doesn't have a chance if we go to war with the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we fight? How do we how do we fight somebody we can't see? How do we fight someone we can't talk to or at least doesn't talk back to us? Let me give you four tips this morning of how to fight. First of all, and we're going to talk more at length about this next Sunday, admit your anger. Admit your anger. And I've, I've worked with a number of really angry people over the years. And, and, and one of the foundational challenges to get to is just having them say, yep, that's a problem. Back to the deception. I, they justify it or they say, that's not really me. Um, uh, people took me wrong. I was just expressing myself uh, or was expressing myself loudly. I just tried to make my point. That's the kind of family I grew up in and it's not really a bad... First of all, you have got to admit, and the people around you should be able to help you with that. You've got to admit that you have a problem with anger, that it is out of control. Because you, can, you cannot fight against the enemy that you are continuing to lie to yourself uh, about. Because he's in the shadows going, yeah, right on, you've got it. That's the truth. Keep telling yourself that. One, admit your anger. Two, pray. <laughs> you cannot do war against the enemy of your souls apart from prayer. You simply can't. 
And the power of the Holy Spirit is unleashed when we pray. The power of the Lord Jesus Christ who lives within us, according to Paul, 2 Corinthians 3, that Jesus actually lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And his power is unleashed when we pray. God, I, I got a problem. I, I, can't, I can't beat it on my own. The enemy is taunting me. He is deceiving me. I, please help. It doesn't have to be any more sophisticated than that. Every time we pray, there's a recognition of our own weakness, of our own inadequacy, that we can't pull this off. We need to pray. God, help me. Control my anger. Help me to fight against the enemy by controlling my anger. Um, wage war on my behalf against this enemy who lurks in the shadows. And now here's a big way to take away real estate from the enemy. So every time, commit to yourself and your spouse and your children and the people that are closest to you, commit that from now on, every time I lose it, I'm going to go to the person that I lost it to and ask forgiveness. Oh, my goodness, brothers and sisters, how that will chisel away at the power of anger in your life or, for that matter, anything else, any other scenario in, life, in your life. That will chip away. How painful has it been for you? I know it has been for me when I go to a person and, and say, please forgive me. For, oh, man, that, that's so hard. That, that deals such a horrific blow to my pride. And yet the power in that for the next time is incredible. Commit to yourself. Commit to your spouse. Commit to your children. Commit to anybody that you blow up around that from now on, by God's grace, I'm going to go and confess and say, please forgive me. And if I blow up again that day, I'm going to go back again. How many times to, will God forgive you? Seven times 70. And it's not really your issue if the other person chooses not to forgive you. Your call is to go and ask them to forgive you. And then lastly, and this is especially true for those of you who are rageaholics, but nobody knows it. Inside, you are furious most of the time, but because perhaps of how you grew up, you have been shaped and taught that, no, I can't lose my cool out here. You're angry, but it's all on the inside. A lot of junk, usually from the past. And usually that junk from the past involves persons, a person or people that you still seethe over and you still resent what took place. And probably the things that you seethe over are awful. But until you forgive, you are in bondage. And until you forgive, you are just as vulnerable as the person who blows up and everybody gets covered with their anger. If you want to resist the enemy, if you want to fight that spiritual battle and have any hope of winning, that is going to be an important piece for you. 
God, forgive my dad for what he did or what he failed to do. God, forgive my mom. Forgive this person in my life that always made fun of me and always treated me like garbage. Forgive that. I, I forgive that person. I, I release them from the enslavement over the years that I've, I've had them shackled and handcuffed. I, God, I forgive them. You've forgiven me for a lot of stuff. I forgive them just as in Christ you've forgiven me. Brothers and sisters, you might be a rageaholic or you might just be moderately anger, angry, but make no mistake about it. We set the stage for the enemy and his sabotage when we get angry and then when we justify it. Let's fight this good fight and let's fight it together. Let's be honest with each other about our own weaknesses and maybe we need to even have the courage with a brother sister say, I don't know if you realize it, but man, you just, you just lose it in front of people and it doesn't seem to like you think that's a bad thing. And I just wonder if you've talked with the Lord about it, something like that. Let's be brothers and sisters in this area so that we can together defeat the enemy. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for the power that we have in the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Thanks that we're, because of him, mightier than this foe. Thanks for the freedom that you offer in uh, forgiveness and in repentance. And I pray for brothers and sisters here this morning um, who may really struggle in this area. God, deliver them. Give them freedom. May they acknowledge. May they fight the good fight. May they be men and women who are on their knees fighting against the enemy. <clears throat> may they ask forgiveness humbly. And may they forgive others for your glory, for their deliverance, for the freedom of those around them, and for the message that it communicates to the world of your power within their lives. In Jesus' name.